and welcome to Just Plain Sense, the Equality and Diversity Podcast. I'm Christine Burns. I guess that I'm not alone in having grown up originally with the idea that disabled people are ruled out of many things by their impairments. The only images I saw of disability as a child in the 1950s were collecting boxes, suggesting in those days that having a disability was mostly about the need for charity and care. It was much later that I learned about the social model of disability. The philosophy that a man in a wheelchair, say, is not disabled by the state of his legs, but by our insistence on building premises with steps. Tom Doughty has always been a musician. He wasn't always disabled, as we'll learn in a moment, but he was determined that his acquired impairments wouldn't get in the way of making music. And he's not alone. Think Stevie Wonder, Evelyn Glennie, and if you Google for disabled musicians, you'll find many more. If we shut our eyes and listen just to their music, then we could forget their differences altogether. But what's the reality? So, Tom, thanks for inviting me into your home. Can we start with the story of how you became a musician? Uh, yes, I was really fortunate in terms of... Um, I had a family that was surra- that had a house surrounded by music. My father, a village blacksmith, had a really wide and eclectic music collection. LPs mostly, and he played a harmonica quite badly, a bit in the style of um, Larry Adler, not in the style of the music I, I've got to grow and, and love now, the blues. But um, I was brought into this household of uh, lovely tastes in music and a really wide, eclectic uh, variety of it. And also, I was around in the mid 60s, uh, I was growing as a kid, I was at those ages of influence when the Beatles and the Rolling Stones and the American folk rock and blues revival was taking place so there's a lot going on and um, I don't know how and I can't necessarily explain it but some people have an ear don't they and my mum brought me back a guitar from a jumble style and shortly after having this guitar um, my elder brother helped me tune it I was listening to um, a particular song by the Beatles and I managed to work out what the notes were and where they were simply by sound just by listening to them and um the rest, they say, is history. That just started to be on a journey of continual discovery, and I'm still on it now, still learning. Uh, I see you're in much in demand, for instance, at school and social clubs locally as well as a child. Yes, uh, school was a somewhat of an embarrassment. I went to the local secondary school and uh, did, did music there, but it wasn't to any great standard. And um, my parents were very ambivalent about my music. They loved me doing it and recognised that I could play. I played to quite a reasonable standard by, say, the age of 14, but never actually encouraged it in terms of formal lessons and teaching. I often wonder whether I'd have been the same type of musician or if I'd have done music at all, if I'd have been pushed into uh, going for formal instruction, because I was quite a rebellious little bugger, really, so I don't know. Your your music is very self-expressive, so... I think so, yeah. I think it's a direct uh, good thing about, about music for me and an instrument is not necessarily what the instrument is, but it's a conduit between the musician or musician's brain and, and hands and whatever he uses to play and, and, uh, and the soul. You know, It's a direct level of communication. The music is just what's 
brought out into the atmosphere, into the air, for us to listen to and to appreciate. So there you were, a young man, world's the oyster, getting on with music, and then there was your accident. Yes, yeah, no other word that can explain a, a, a very serious spinal injury at an age like 17, than devastating, and it, and it was. And those first initial couple of years, I think for most people are. Um, I was on my, I was a mad, mad fool on a motorbike, simple as really, a young testosterone fueled adolescent uh, with a, a really powerful machine underneath me, and I crashed it. Um, simple as my own fault and uh, had a spinal injury and um, so yeah music was parked for a significant number of years really while I got on with adjusting to life but the adjusting to life bit like most of my peers was very was was reasonably easy quite quick and uh, straightforward so what was your initial reaction did you think I'm not going to be able to play again um yes I was convinced I wouldn't be playing the guitar because my my uh, impairment it was was a broken neck, which affects my hands quite severely. So um, strange though it may seem, the fact that I couldn't walk about was uh, was easily addressed. You know, a wheelchair is is just as um, if the environment were perfect, of course. Mm-hmm. But a wheelchair is a quite easy way of getting around. I could handle that. Uh, I soon worked out that it wasn't important to stand up in life. It's much more important to be healthy and happy. Um, but not having the use of my hands, which I viewed as a way of uh, of showing your individual expression, was quite a severe thing for me. It was quite difficult, and it did take me a few years to uh, to get the hang of it. But music was always there because I'd been brought into this environment of music, and I had my own music collection. You know, you do inherit a lot of your parents' um, interests, don't you, and influences. And I I was interested in music, so. I was still buying albums, listening to albums, going out listening to music and musicians, and um, able. I was able to still make music and create music, but of course, not in the literal sense. It was always in my head and never actually in the air. Mm-hmm. But I could listen to music, and I knew what the musicians were doing. If I was listening to a guitarist. I'd be able to know what they were, what chords they were playing, or how they were playing, and what they were doing. So I was still able to. Um, to use my imagination to make music and then after about 10 years you you did sit down i, I mean i see you're sitting here now with a with the guitar on your lap and you've got a, a metal slide is it a metal slide on your finger and this is another of my inventions <clears throat> my father being the old village blacksmith of course <clears throat> is extremely resourceful and um and good at improvising so he uh he had me doing things like cleaning up his workshop to earn my po- pocket money so I was brought into an engineering world, and um, it's a good it's a good grounding for finding ways round round issues and problems and finding solutions to them. So this uh, this particular slide is a combination of stainless steel and glass joined together to make mm-hmm. a tube, and it makes this lovely, you know, makes this lovely soft noise on the strings. It's quite haunting. It's very different to the conventional way of playing a guitar. Well, it is, but it's like any of these little um, um, niche markets. You know, it's something that's been going on for a long time. Uh, Hawaiian music and slide guitar music was originated in the probably late 1800s, um, uh, probably in Hawaii or America. Um, Nobody knows the exact story, but somebody came up with the idea of 
tuning a guitar to an open chord, one like this, and then came up with the idea of playing it with a, a, a either a bolt or a knife blade or a piece of a bottle, bowling bottle, and came up with, with what we call slide guitar. And the whole Hawaiian music craze and the blues craze was uh, was born in the 1920s and 30s. Hawaiian music was far more popular than any other brand of music. It was the pop music of the day. So it's always been there. And this method of playing has been there. It, it then evolved into blues, um, into uh, country music, uh, into what you would call the sort of electric uh, music of the 50s. I can remember things like Hank Williams with a band that always been electric steel guitar. And uh, it's now used for almost anything. Indian traditional music is played on this in this style. But because it's not mainstream, it's not necessarily known about. And I've cornered the niche market in Cheshire anyway. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking perhaps Dire Straits as being a, an example of, of using that type of style. Yes. Well, there you go, you see, the idea of the shiny, it was, it's called a national guitar, the shiny mm -hmm. resonator uh, plated guitar was on the front cover of that. Was it Brothers in Brothers Arms? Brothers in Arms, yeah. And um, suddenly people went, oh, that's a novel, that's something different. Um, I don't think Mark plays any slide, but he may, he may play a little bit of bottleneck, mm. but there you go, it brings it into the public eye, doesn't it? Well, I, I suppose, I mean, not being a, a guitar expert, I suppose the difference is, is that if you're, if you're playing with fingers on the frets, then you, you can make any note in a, in a chromatic scale, whereas, as you say, you're, you're tuning the guitar in advance. So, so you're not a guitarist, but there you go, talking <laughs> about frets and a chromatic scale and notes. And, um, I've been an rumbled. Awful, <laughs> an awful lot of your people wouldn't have an idea. Your yeah, listeners will yeah. not have an idea. But to help you out, listeners, <laughs> a fret is a is a, a a piece of metal across the neck of the guitar. The neck's mm -hmm. the bit that sticks up, mm -hmm. and you put your finger in a, in a gap, basically, on a regular guitar, push down quite hard, and you make a note that goes in a, in a step. So you get like this. <laughs> That's what a fret does. When mm. you put your finger anywhere in that gap, it will the string will be held by the piece of metal, and that causes you to have one note at a time. The difference between that and slide guitar is that, as the name infers, you have something that slides on the string, so you can... make a noise that is um, uh, isn't governed by the steps of the notes it isn't governed by pitch pitch is infinite in a similar way to the cello family or the violin yeah. so you've got this ability to to play a note that's uh, sliding around and has a much more evocative slide sound you know the, the film Paris Texas with uh, Ry Cuda playing in the background there playing a really few simple notes just sounded great didn't it <laughs> Um, ability to just carry a message through that those few simple notes it, in fact it, it feels almost more expressive because you can put so much into into how you move the slide well yes and no but it takes years and years and years of practice and it's a really hard style to play and when you get it wrong you get it wrong bad style it's really <laughs> difficult to play um, and and it's also a, 
a lot of people will say it's a very limiting way to play but but a bit like um uh, how far can we take human limitation you know nelson mandela was uh, was locked in a prison for 25 years and wasn't limited by the experience in terms of in terms of how he how his brain and his mental attitude to life behaved and performed so i don't find this way of playing a guitar limiting i find it a real uh, opportunity to to f to be more inventive and to be more creative and that's the sort of thing that fires my soul really so does it does it work best with music that you compose for that technique or or does it work with covers as well i, I play anything on this style of instrument or anything i can and i i still approach the slide guitar as i would have approached the regular guitar and um I, I just try and find particular sounds and voices and uh, expressions that I'm looking for. I don't think in the box at all. I don't think in the box in life. I think, well, what what do I want to do and how, how am I going to do it? Uh, and do a lot of experimentation to get there. And then do you write it down or do you just memorise the, the tune and the lyrics? Uh, I, I, can write, I can read music now. I taught myself to read music a bit. Uh, I can't really confess to writing music. Uh, and I understand every note on the fretboard and I understand how music works but I don't record it by writing it down I record it by knowing it, memorising it and also, most importantly for me allowing it to be organic and to evolve and grow and change so when people come to my gigs they may hear the same songs um, as they did at a last gig or a similar version but they're often differently played Okay, Let, let's hear something of yours now. Uh, Louisiana, 1927, I thought would be good. Could you could just tell us a little bit, bit about that? Yeah, certainly. This is a cover song, but I'm a real fan of Randy Newman. He's got this ability to write uh, music in the, in the third person. You know, he can just take himself out of himself and um, make himself anyone. He can be a drunk, a womanizer, a saviour, anything. And um, this song, Louisiana, 1927, is his version of uh, a great flood that happened in Mississippi, just the same as the one that repeated itself uh, not so many years ago, mm. um, in 1927, which was originally recorded by a great old Mississippi blues player called Charlie Patton. And uh, this is my take on it, basically. It's a, it's a song that's uh, sung with a, a voice and a piano, uh, normally, or in my case, with a voice and my guitar. Six feet of water in the streets of Evangeline 
the instrument what other kinds of barriers do you face as a musician i'm thinking of things like handling your your gear traveling getting access into venues well i I live in i live and work in the real world and the real world is not necessarily uh the most brilliant environment for me i'm a guy in a wheelchair with a limited amount of strength and um that in itself means that that physically life is quite hard the things that make my work successful or not are usually about people's attitude to that and that often will transcend physical barriers let's make it really simple i've i've gone and done some work in india india is one of the most hostile environments for a wheelchair user to be in yet the people made my work quite i wouldn't say it was easy it's really difficult but made it possible to do because a i was prepared to accept being lifted around in in uh, requirement of my art and b that people were far more than willing to actually help me uh, perform for them and make would do whatever they could to make it as easy as possible without of course having legislation or suitable access or anything like that they just made it work mm-hmm. i've been to venues in this country where because of some ridiculous procedure like health and safety for example um, a paid employee of the venue wasn't uh, prepared to give me a hand up to a stage some members of the audience did shamed him into uh, disappearing into a cupboard somewhere so the thing that we get hung up on is physical environment the built environment and um, 
any anyone can imagine it's difficult to get around um but actually it's about people's willingness to make it work that uh, that makes the environment manageable both for me i have to have that same attitude about being willing to make it work and not being resistant and the people for whom i'm working or performing or playing have you ever had to cancel a gig because of the arrangements not yet i cancelled a gig because of swine flu a month ago and it really annoyed me and um that's so far been the first one and by arrangements um people who book me are aware of my disability because i make them aware and uh we just get around it you know a couple of months ago i did a gig in a in an art gallery in matthew street in liverpool which was up three flights of steps it was up the third third floor of a, a really small tenement building and um I found a gang of, they were semi-drunk, but we still got there, semi-drunk scousers outside who were more than happy to lift me in the chair upstairs. And yet, it's difficult. Yes, I was frightened. Um, Yes, it isn't politically correct. But um, there are sometimes more important things and more important ways of getting the message of access around than just protesting outside and not, not continuing with your life. Now, when we were planning this interview, you know, I was very cautious about asking you these kinds of questions. Um, I was frightened that you know, I didn't want to be overshadowing your music with the, the, the disability issue or labels. But how do you think people view disabled musicians? I'm thinking people like Stevie Wonder, even Ian Drury, Lenny Peters, I remember in the 70s, Evelyn Glennie. Is it, is it pity, curiosity, or that's novelty value, or what is it? Well... We're in danger of overshadowing my music and the music of all of those other great people you're mentioning by focusing on their mm. disability, aren't we? Mm. So I'm not. this isn't a cop-out, but really I'm not the person to ask. I think there's a sort of that question that should be directed at the media in general or at the populace in general. I have no idea what other people think about when they see uh, Stevie Wonder performing on stage or whether, when they see me. But I have a pretty good uh, assumption that those people who turn up for gigs do so because they like my music and they like Stevie Wonder's music and whether he were um, armless, legless, blind or insane they probably don't really give a toss as long as the music's good so you know we really need to get away from that attitude of what 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 is it people think about your disability well that's up to them really Um, people tend to uh, accept me and get on with it and, and enjoy it and if they don't then they don't need to come and of course, I was going to say, you know, if, if people are buying, buying just your albums and they might not even be conscious of, um, of, of your disability. So does that actually make a difference, do you think, in, in performing live and, and people just listening to your, your CDs? Uh, no, no, it doesn't make a difference. In the same way, it doesn't make a difference to if you buy a CD from someone who is uh, uh, of a different colour, very tall, very short, very thin, very fat. Um, you get a different perception of them when you meet them but that perception is coloured by your own experiences of life. So mm. people buy my CD who don't know me because they hear me on the radio or they know something about the style of music and just take a punt and buy it or whatever compared to people who are at gigs. Well, if you're at a gig, you're going to get uh, the opportunity to see and appreciate this person in the flesh and to be involved in a, a lovely live process mm. which is about human interaction. If you buy a CD, you're going to get a nice, polished, clean piece of 
music that you can listen to again and again and again in your own home or environment, but it's sterile by comparison. However, I wouldn't persuade anyone not to buy my CDs. <laughs> I think you should all buy my CDs and come and listen to me in gigs. I'm an okay sort of guy, really. And there's lots of places that people can, can hear your music. Well, no gigging musicians uh, any use nowadays without several websites. So nearly all of my gigs are on my website. And um, I play all over this country and into Europe and America. Um, but I'm still relatively unknown. And that's partly about, about the way the music business works. And it's partly about me. And partly about the way that things like... Um, the media works and radio airplay you know I'm, I'm not one of these musicians with a I've not got age on my side I'm not particularly young and beautiful listeners but um, uh, and I don't have a big marketing company or um, or an agent or all that stuff I'm just going about my uh, my business my daily work being a musician and running the whole business by myself which means getting exposure is much more difficult yeah, so just to explain, you, you people can buy your CDs off your website, and I'll give the address for that in a moment. And you've also got a MySpace page where people can listen to more of your music than we're playing in this this episode. And you've got some YouTube videos as well. Oh, it's all out there. It's a technological phenomenon. <laughs> Flipping Nora. Yeah. There are several radio stations too um, mm -hmm. online where you can just dial in my music as. Uh, there's so much access to information nowadays that uh, you can't go wrong if you're keen and if you've got the time to devote to it. But yes, there's my own website. There's a, a MySpace website for me. There's a YouTube website. There's a couple of uh, radio stations, one called ReverbNation.com, which has got a Tom Doughty radio section in it. There's a lovely little radio station based in Alaska called Whole Wheat Radio which is well worth a look, fascinating roots music type uh, internet radio station. You can buy my CDs from a couple of specialist shops or over the net from an organisation called CD Baby or in fact just go on to tomdoughty.com and you find everything there. All sorts of um, interesting products from a left-handed corkscrew to a... No, I'm joking. <laughs> Tell us about the three CDs you, you've done today, because they're all a little bit different. Yeah, my, my music took off um, after meeting a, an American player in, uh, let me think, 1999. Um, I'd got the guitars down. I kept guitars after my accident. I got one down off the wall, started messing around with it. Let's, let's not make it technical. I started messing around with it, tuned it in a certain way, got this tube thing started trying to play and I couldn't really tell whether or not I was playing it sometimes it sounded alright sometimes it sounded bloody awful sometimes I thought it sounded quite good and that would be enough to spur me on to keep me playing and um, I did find ways of, of playing but again I was mainly playing in the front room entertaining the the, uh, the dog and the then wife and um I decided to enroll for a, a guitar workshop with a professional American musician, one of 40 people, uh, at a guitar festival. And I met this guy, and he more or less took me on one side and said, this is great, you must do this. You've got, you've got something quite special going on here. And he invited me to, um, to New York to take part in some guitar seminars. And that gave me two or three things. It introduced me to a, a peer group who I realised were not necessarily um, 
any different than me in terms of musically some were better some were different some were just beginning um, but there's no such thing as good or bad in music is there it's uh, there's no right or wrong it's whatever you can get from it what you take from it it's a very individual interpretation and that's something I really love about doing it no one can tell me I'm going too slow too fast or I should be playing it in a certain way it's a really uh, it's a really free spirit it's a free way of uh, of communicating and in New York I discovered that my music does have its own voice and it was enough to make me think well uh, sod it I'll leave the day job and become um, become more of a musician and less of a frustrated musician and lastly Tom and maybe you might think this is a bit unfair but if you had to choose between losing your musical ability and fixing your impairments which one would it be? Um, life isn't fair really is it but I don't think that's got anything to do with the human condition um, would I fix my impairments or play music well yeah it's an irrelevant question really because Frank my dog is sitting here making a death noise <laughs> shut up Frank uh, because I'm happy with my own skin and my impairments aren't, aren't something I would want to change the the life I've I've got and the experiences I've had uh, of which my impairments are all part of is something I wouldn't swap or change for for anything so there's no there's no need to do the equation to Tom Doughty, guitarist extraordinaire. If you'd like to learn more about him, then his website is at www.tomdoughty.com. This also has links to Tom's MySpace and YouTube sites, and you can buy his CDs there too. And that, as usual, brings us to the end of another episode of Just Plain Sense. If you'd like to hear more, then the place to go is our website, which is podcast.plain-sense.co.uk. Join us again soon for another programme on a topic of equality and diversity. For now, though, it's goodbye and thank you for listening. Just Plain Sense is the Plain Sense Limited production. This world stands watching Makes no sense to me At the end of a rifle, vote for me. At the end of a rifle, your votes are free. Torture opposition, starve the population. There's people going hungry. He was knighted by my country, Robert Mugabe. He's a killing machine. Zimbabwe, a shattered dream. Peacekeeping, shattered scheme. Mandela, come on, say something. 
And Becky, he does nothing Makes no sense to me It's a killing regime It's a killing regime.